What's up, sports ballers? Welcome to episode five of Sports Ball. On this episode, Andrew and I discuss the NCAA men's basketball final, cell phones at major sporting events, the Japanese phenom Shohei Otani of the Los Angeles Angels, the NFL draft, and do we even really care about it? And what's with all the quarterbacks getting taken so early when they're, you know, mostly busts? We also discuss uh, WrestleMania. There's a 10-year-old tag team champion now. And a little NASCAR nugget to end the day. Hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, Cam. Hey, what's up, Andrew? How are you? Not too much. Long time no talk. It's been a while. Indeed, we uh, we missed a week in uh, the wake of the NCAA tournament. My uh, my trauma was too fresh. I was gonna say since last time we talked, uh, some orphanage in a third world third world country has gotten T-shirts declaring Michigan the national champion. Yeah, well, good for them. They can live my dream someday. Someday. <laughs> no, it's. I mean, I'm. They uh, Michigan athletics put out a picture or graphic afterwards and said don't be mad that it's over be happy that it happened and i think that's a great way to look at it it's you know i yeah i don't think you can complain about being a michigan uh, basketball fan these days yeah if you can't be first you might as well be second you know so uh it was a great season super happy um that they won 14 out of their last 15 games and reminded everybody that michigan's more than uh slightly above average football school i've been watching the documentary it's been it's been good which documentary have you been watching the uh the michigan one on amazon i don't know i don't remember what it's called i didn't i didn't know this existed yeah uh they eight episodes they let them in uh pretty much all access uh they're in the harbaugh home they're in practice they're all over the place and uh it's uh it's good well, Harbaugh's not one to turn down um, time on camera, so. No. Uh, yeah, we've seen everything from, uh, you know, the blessing of the, of the, by the Pope, um, you know, the, the kids at the house, the, the great quarterback battle uh, that took place in Ann Arbor last fall, and uh, they just defeated Indiana in the last episode, so things are about to take a turn for the worst here. <laughs> I can feel it. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. Enough about. Enough about the boys in maize and blue. Uh, talk to me about uh, talk to me about some golf. So, I'm not a huge golf fan, and I didn't commit hours upon hours to the Masters over the weekend. Um, but it did seem like an interesting storyline came out of it that uh, Patrick Reed is by no means a, a beloved uh, golfer among fans. A bit of a bad boy, uh, little brash estranged from his parents so you know not your uh, prototypical gentleman that would play a gentleman's game um so that controversy has been a little interesting to read about and kind of how he's re- how he's been received um uh, but i i think the most interesting thing about the masters is the fact that the patrons which they must be called cannot use cell phones on the grounds and it had me thinking like what if all major sporting events banned cell phones? Now I'm watching the, the, the Mariners and the Royals tonight, and there's you know, about 3,000 fans there, and I don't think you could keep them off their cell phones. But 
You know, what if the, the Super Bowl and the Final Four and every major sporting event was was phone free and you just had to you know be in the moment? Is that something that we as a society could pull off, or or is this something we leave isolated to the masters and kind of its um, uppityness of sorts? I mean, what's their reasoning? Do you know? I think to just keep it pure, uh, to you're there for the golf, you're there for the scenery, and you have to really stop and think. Like you never see the fans ever taking a picture with their cell phone. Like if you don't consciously think about it, I don't think you realize that there's no one on the grounds with a cell phone. Now I, I do believe they can use them during practice rounds because earlier in the week I would I would see pictures of people with them out. But once the competition begins on Thursday, they're they're no longer allowed. Um, and they, they have strict rules, you know, like you can't run and those types of things. I believe like Wimbledon has a similar rule. Uh, but these, you know, kind of old-timey sporting events, it just it just be interesting. Like, you know, could you, could you make so the Kentucky Derby did not have cell phones? Because the way I look at it, too, is like every sporting event is on YouTube now. You know, if I'm at a game, I don't really worry about trying to record something or trying to remember it by something because I know that I can go back and watch it on YouTube at any time because, you know, 95% of sporting events now are, are up. They're not putting a baseball game up, but the, the main, the big ones, they are and the, the major clips. So I don't know. It's like an interesting thought about how, how we would react as a society. You know, like you don't, you can't go to a play or a Broadway show and expect to have your phone out and, and that's not acceptable by society standards. So, it's just a, it's just an interesting thought I had earlier. Yeah, I really, I like you said the Super Bowl, and I just don't. Outside of an act of God, I don't know how you're going to prevent people from taking their cell phones to the Super Bowl. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, something that is just like I said, it may just have to be isolated to the Masters. But I, I do always wonder about people. Like I've sat next to people at games, and they're on their phones constantly. It's like how. You pay all this money to come to this sporting event, and you spend more time worrying about something outside the stadium than you do inside the stadium. So, well, yeah, I think there's probably something to be said about that. Um, as you know, our societal, um, or our, as our society becomes more and more reliant upon, you know, the devices in our pockets or on our desks, than than just like you know, the people next to us, but. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, so many so many professional sports organizations are all in on social media already anyways. Right. Because uh, they can get more of your attention, and more of your attention means, you know, you're going to spend more money. But, yeah, that'd be weird. It'd be an interesting thing to see a team try and do just for kicks. It would also be odd to be at an event, and, you know, you're relying on a manual scoreboard or or whatever is available in front of you to know what's going on. You can't check in on Twitter and get an update as to what happened on the fourth hole if you're on the eighth, or you can't watch a clip. You know, you have to wait till you get home to kind of know what's going on. So it's kind of a um, bygone experience that you can do that because now, you know, if I'm at a football game, I'm using the two-and-a-half, three-minute TV timeouts to kind of catch up on what might be happening elsewhere. So it's it definitely goes both ways because um, there's something said about being in the moment, but at the same time, um, there's already so much competition with TV and that experience that I think people are just happy with 
our teams are just happy with people being in the seats, let alone whether their attention is, is there or not. Well, and what I think is the funniest about this to me is that 20 years ago, that's how everybody watched and enjoyed live sports. Right. It's been 20 years. Like, it's not been a century or even 60 years. Like, it's only been 20. Mm-hmm. And things have completely shifted. And it's just, yeah, when you put it in, in that term, like, I was 11 20 years ago. Right. Like, and our reliance upon technology and the access to all the information we have is completely different now than it was when, when me and you were, you know, in middle school. So, oh, I mean, even 10 years ago, when I covered the NCAA tournament as a student reporter, Twitter was not a thing. And in fact, they had a, a blogging policy that you could only provide live updates from the from inside the venue four times a half. So if you were <laughs> you were running a live blog about the game, you you couldn't, you know, you couldn't do a, a, a true live blog. You could only update and post a few times a a game uh, and, and they had a policy and they would revoke your, your, your credential. And to think then a year or two, that was so obsolete. It was laughable. Yeah. If you think about how far we've come and now this, you know, Mike Moustakas home run that he just hit, it will be, you know, instantaneously on social media and clipped and, and available to view. So it's, yeah, it's amazing what is, has transpired even in the last three to five years. Yep. It's a very interesting time to be alive. Indeed. All right. Should we talk, uh, since you just mentioned Mr. Moustakis, shall we uh, talk a little baseball? Absolutely. So the Royals are playing right now. Are they winning? They are. They're up 10 to nothing. And uh, Jake Junis, who appears to be uh, likely the ace of the staff this year, although he's number three in the rotation, uh, pitched a one-hitter into the eighth. He actually had a no-hitter into the sixth, I believe, and then he, he gave up a single. And now they've um, taken him out of the game because there's obviously – could have gotten the complete game shut out, but when it's your second appearance and you have 30 more to go in a season, there's no need to get your pitch count up. So when it's 10 to nothing. Yeah, exactly. But um, it seems like the, the big headline from week, I don't know, one and a half is uh, Shohei Otani, the – Japanese phenom who they're calling the next Babe Ruth. He pitches left-handed. No, he pitches right-handed and he hits left-handed and um, he is mashing at the plate and he is uh, he's pitching very well too. He pitched a no-hitter into the seventh yesterday and has now hit home runs in three consecutive games. Should we yeah, jump on the so, bandwagon? Well, it's, no, it's way too early. By the uh, way, also playing in this game is a 44-year-old Ichiro Suzuki. I might just mention that. But back to our other Japanese topic. I'm, I'm so happy that Ichiro is back in Seattle. That made me very happy when I found that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, what I'm going to be interested, especially on the pitching side of, of things, is how he performs in the second half of the season. Yeah. The teams in his division have seen him twice or three times, and they have a full half season of – you know, video on him, how he's going to handle the second half of the season is going to be, I think, very telling. Um, the fact that he's six foot four and two hundred pounds, like that's that's not a small man. I thought we were talking about Shohei, not me. Uh, yes, yes. 
I I don't think you could. No offense, but I don't think you could hack it in the bigs, man. No, I'm not hitting it 350, 400 feet. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think early on, all the signs point to he is really good. Uh, I mean, he's got 18 strikeouts and 13 innings pitched. Um, you know, two wins. His ERA is just a hair over two. Uh, his whip, which is walks and his per inning pitched, is .46. So he's giving up every two innings, one hit or one walk, which is incredibly low. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his the fact that he then is hitting .389 average. Now, the three home runs that have come in the last couple of games certainly helped boost his numbers. Um, but still, he's he's had 18 at-bats, and he's got seven hits, three home runs, seven RBIs for an OPS of 1310, which anything over a thousand in OPS means you're doing really well. Right. So, uh, yeah, the early stats all look really good, but the beautiful thing about baseball is that because there's so many games, things will even out. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's obviously too early to call him the next Babe Ruth, but I get why they do it. Uh, right. But yeah. I mean, it's it's something we haven't seen. I mean, we've seen phenomenal hitters come out of nowhere, but we haven't seen someone be able to pitch at his level and and hit at his level. I was looking mm-hmm. back, you know, he's he's here in Kansas City on Thursday night, and I I was trying to do some research today. It's kind of like who were you know, we want to call him a phenom. He's twenty three years old. It's interesting to me is that he's playing for the league minimum. And he won't be a free agent and really eligible for big, big money for three years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think he's in the – is he in the, the Bryce Harper, Alex Rodriguez, Ken Griffey Jr., Bo Jackson? Like, are we putting him in that category or is he I, just... I think we've got to wait until at least after next season before we can honestly assess if he's going to be – that type of caliber of a player. What about the all-star break? No, it's way too early to tell. Still, still too early. So you can, you can put him on the all-star team, but you cannot compare him to a guy like Ken Griffey Jr., who was probably the purest baseball player of his generation based on half a season's, you know, performance. I'm sorry. Ken Griffey holds a special place in my heart. Well, and the, the other thing, too, is um... – you know, if pitching's the priority, and that seems to kind of be how his schedule is built, and then he's DHing the other days, um, he we're not going to probably see him get 200 plate appearances this year, uh, right? Which I think honestly is a benefit to him mm-hmm. because that's less time for other teams to try and figure him out at the plate. Yeah, I, I do wonder, like. Long term, like having him in and out of the lineup, how does that change? They're kind of platooning him of sorts. Um, mm-hmm. How will that? How will that change things for the the Angels? I don't know enough about the ins and outs of their lineup to to really know, you know, what happens when he starts playing every fourth day or, or however his schedule lines up. But um, it's it's fun to watch right now. It's kind of been like seems like the storyline of the first. 10 games, that, and a bunch of snow outs uh, here in April, which um, there's nothing worse than watching cold baseball. <laughs> Except maybe playing it. <laughs> True. Yeah, I mean, 
we'll see how they play it. Like you said, it's a really, really unique situation. So the the uh, the manager and the position coaches and him, they're all going to have to over communicate to try and figure out you know the best way to use him and to mm-hmm. rest him and to make sure that he's not being overexerted so he can continue to pitch well. And but I mean, think about him in the playoffs, man. If he's still mashing it then and he's not starting, you've got an ace in the hole. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's in and if they were to make the World Series and play in an NL Park, like yeah, that throws a whole nother. Like, how crazy would that be to watch a a guy come in and well, they don't have to pinch hit for him or or whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah, especially with the National League rules. Yeah, like you. Yeah. You've got a better hitter than any National League team has, as far as the pitcher is concerned. So, and, and which is why we, I was kind of surprised he went to an American League team. Yeah, I agree, but um, I I think that he he wanted to be a part of of LA, and maybe there wasn't an, another team that that I don't know. I don't know how anybody w- wouldn't have not wanted him, but um, but maybe. Maybe in three years, when he becomes a free agent, maybe the the NL teams will uh, seek his his services. Mm-hmm. And and while we're on baseball, you you have a, a show as well that goes a little bit more in depth than our uh, our ten minutes here. Yeah, um, thanks for that for the plug. I appreciate that. Um, if you're listening on Anchor, you can search a show called Mendoza Line, which is uh, a baseball reference for hitting above or below two hundred. Um, it's me and my buddy Nick, who is a walking encyclopedia of baseball knowledge. Um, and, yeah, we just nerd out about baseball. It's pretty fun. So if you're into that, check it out. We'd appreciate it. There you go. Thanks, man. No problem. Any other thoughts on uh, Mr. Otani, or shall we jump into the uh, the NFL draft? Oh, all right. Let's go to the NFL draft, even though we'll – we can put this on like the the list of top five things I do not care about in a calendar year. <laughs> Does well, it move we'll the needle? We'll disagree on that, so that's good. Does it move the needle for you? Yeah, I enjoy it. I like. Um, I really like it. Um, I like it because the level of analysis that gets done just like scratches my nerd itch. Um, and I like, you know, I love college football way more than I love the NFL. Mm-hmm. I like to see where, you know, the college players wind up and um, who trades and who's overvalued and who's undervalued and, uh, you know, why quarterbacks that have no business getting drafted number one get drafted number one when there's right. seven other guys that you know are going to be, you know, either surefire starters, if not pro bowlers, but they're going to take the quarterback from Delaware because he's six foot four and can throw the ball a country mile. It's like, hmm. right. and you're going to pay him a bajillion dollars when you could have drafted the linebacker that's going to play for your team for 12 years, you know? Yeah. So oh. all of that stuff just fascinates me. And the oh. fact that there's so much money on the line and there's so much, you know, are they going to trade? I just, I like the, uh, the stress of it, I, I guess you could say. Yeah, th- there's a, a theater element to it. and I, I'll watch the Thursday night. I don't know that I'll invest uh, much on Friday or Saturday in terms of time, but 
Thursday to watch the first round is good. And like you said, the, the analysis is really good. And, um, and I just love it when Mel Kuyper is wrong. That somehow sickly makes me really happy. When, when he uh, – this is his full-time job to do this. So, yeah, he's like – I know. So when he's wrong, I love it. Yeah, and I couldn't even tell you I, – I know Josh Allen's supposed to be like a top pick. Um, but beyond oh, the that – The quarterback from Wyoming. Yeah, I'm actually more fascinated. I was watching outside lines today during lunch. I'm actually more fascinated. I wish like Johnny Manziel could put himself back in the draft, and then there was a chance that like on Thursday or Friday that someone could redraft him. I realize that like just like that's not how it works. He go through free agency. I understand that, but you know if you like took, he's been out now what a season or two. Mm, I want to say two, but I could be wrong. You know, like if you sat out three seasons. You could put yourself back in to be drafted rather than go through free agency. Like it'd just be a little wrinkle. Yeah, but I feel like if you sat out three seasons, it's because no one actually wants you. That's like the only flaw, I think. That's true. But at the same time, what is also always fascinating to me about the NFL is the fact that we cannot find 30 guys that are capable quarterbacks. Hmm. There's like there's ten guys. Well, okay, I'm gonna push back a little bit. There are ten elite guys, and then there's about forty good guys. The problem is we think good is elite because I'm telling you what the third string quarterback on any NFL team is one of the top 100 quarterbacks on the planet. Oh, I I agree with that. It's just fascinating to me that like every baseball team like has typically like one good pitcher no matter how good or bad they are like they can find like one good pitcher and one good hitter but a football team for whatever reason there's a lot of mediocre quarterbacks yeah but okay so again when we say mediocre we're still talking about the top like point zero 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 one percent of quarterbacks <laughs> on the planet. right but, so like there's got to be a little perspective here like when we say like you know uh um mitch trubisky the, the quarterback for the the bears he's supposed to be the best core bears quarterback since you know forever and he's mediocre because he's young it's like he's still incredible the problem is there are guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Drew Brees that are just so much better and have been so consistent for so long that it skews our perception of what good means. Sure. The element of relativity is there. Yeah. And and it also, but it also it, depends on what team they're on and if the players around them suck. Right. The, the, the imperative or the imperative, <laughs> the parody of it all certainly plays into it plays into it as well um but it just seems like it's particularly with first round draft picks it, when it comes to quarterbacks oh yeah, yeah there yeah. are more busts than booms and that and that goes to the they take the quarterback with the number one or number two pick because they have to i don't know where that rule got established as opposed to taking the the surefire lineman or uh, linebacker, or receiver, or whatever. They go, no, we need a franchise quarterback. That, like in the last, in the last fifteen years, that phrase, we need a franchise quarterback, has just 
completely taken over the NFL. It's like you don't need a franchise quarterback. The Jacksonville Jaguars made the Super Bowl with Mark Brunel as their quarterback. Uh, in the Seahawks, the Seahawks made it with Matt Hasselbeck. The Eagles made it with who was their backup this year? Oh gosh, what's his face? Um, Carson Wentz was the starter. He got hurt. It was uh, Case. No, Case Keenum was Minnesota. I can't believe I'm forgetting this. He won. He won the stinking Super Bowl. Uh, Nick Foles. Nick Foles. Thank you. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. like, again, I don't get it. You can you can win in the NFL without a top tier quarterback. Well, even like Matthew Stafford, like he was a, a top pick, and and he has been a very serviceable quarterback in Detroit. He's, you know, he's he's done what they've needed him to do. He's he hasn't taken them to a Super Bowl. But he's, well, but he's that's made not much his, better, right? It's not his fault, right? the The problem is their defense has been atrocious, and they haven't had a run game since Barry Sanders. So everyone knows we're going to throw the ball forty five times a game, and they don't have to guard against the run. So, like again, that goes to what I think differentiates football from, say, like baseball, where you know, like every team's got a good pitcher. Well, it's different in the fact that you know on baseball the only one that can touch the ball before it's hit is the pitcher right so like you can't run you can't pass you can't it's just football is way more dynamic and there's so many more moving pieces that like you can have a really good quarterback but if the rest of your offense is a joke that quarterback is never going to be what he could be if he was on the patriots like Uh, imagine if tom brady had wound up on the browns oh yeah he'd been out of the league 12 years ago yep so I'm very interested to watch the uh, Patrick Mahomes experiment in our own backyard next season. Yeah, that 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 does excite me. I'm not even a Chiefs fan. Yeah, me either. But it'll be interesting to see. Anyways, Um, yeah, I I have one topic for you that I just came up with, and I'm sure you'll be comfortable being on the spot. And I'm not (laughs) going to pronounce his last name or his first name correctly. uh, Ibrahimovic. Oh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, yes. With the LA Galaxy. Did you see that goal? Oh, I did. And did you watch any of the sporting game last night? Because sporting played them. Oh, no, I haven't watched it yet. It's so, on my to-do list. Um, yeah, sporting, you know, the, the thought was he was going to come in in the 60th minute. And, of course, uh, sporting scored two goals after the between about the 54th and 59th minute. In that five-minute span, they scored two goals. He came in, but boy, he took some shots that were unbelievable. I mean, he completely changed the game, and um, he's going to be fun to watch this summer. It's it's cool to kind of have him stateside. You know, we've had some other players come over, but I I don't remember anybody being to to this caliber where you can tune in and just watch a game completely change when he when he comes in. Yeah, well, I would say look at David Villa, New York City. He's been the best designated player in the league yeah. history, but he plays all 90 minutes. Uh, Zlatan's coming back from an injury, and I get it. Um, but, yeah, he is quite the enigma. He's got a huge ego, mm-hmm. a ton of personality. He's pretty selfish, but he does some um, – and I think because he's not playing for a big European club now, he has – he feels the freedom to like, I want to do a bicycle kick from 30 yards out. I'm going to do it. 
what are they going to do? Bench me. Right. <laughs> and, you know, so, and he has that mentality where he will just do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it because he's Laton and he can do whatever he wants. Um, but yeah, his first game against LAFC, the new LA team, mm-hmm. the, the volley he takes from like 15 yards across the midway line was honestly the best goal I've ever seen. And I've been watching soccer seriously for years. Yeah. I mean, the audacity to even attempt the shot is, is laughable. But then the ability to execute a volley from that far, curve the ball, you know, 10 yards and put it in the upper part of the net. I mean, it, it just absolute masterpiece. It was incredible. Yeah, he he dropped a cement mixer of a ball in from about 30 yards uh, last night that, uh, man, the thing moved. Well, it, it, it curved and bent, but it, there was zero spin on it. Mm-hmm. Just, just amazing to watch. So I can't. Uh, I looked at the schedule. They're here in October, so um, we're probably gonna have to go to that. Pl- yeah, plenty of time to uh to save our pennies. Yeah, my whole my whole thing with sporting is I'll go when there are good teams in town. <laughs> I don't really, you know, it's a great park, but that team does not captivate me. Uh, they're in first place right now. I'm, and I'm, it's not because they're not good. They've been consistently good since I've been here. I just. There's not a single person or the coach on that team that captivates me personality-wise. Like it's just so, it's like solid soccer that's fundamentally sound, but there's like, there's just no personality. Yeah, there's, no, there's no captivating anything about it. They're a little vanilla. Yeah, I mean, I did like when they had argyle in their jerseys. That was nice. They wore some sharp. Uh, I think they were a deep blue. They were, I don't know, deep blue or slash black. Last night, they look nice. But you were probably preoccupied watching WrestleMania. I was. WrestleMania was last night, and it was an interesting show. Um, a ten-year-old is now one half of the Raw Tag Team Champions, and will get. Uh, I've seen some tweets where he will uh, get royalty checks now for the rest of his life because he will... yeah, because he performed at WrestleMania. Yep. Yeah, so his tag team partner is Braun Strowman, who is six foot eight, three hundred and eighty-five pounds. Yeah, we watched him in a dumpster match last year. How could I forget? Yes, he is. They they nicknamed him the Monster Among Men, and it is uh, very very accurate. Um, and so the whole gimmick was he won a tag team battle royal with ten other people. He won it by himself, and that he had to have a tag team partner for this match, otherwise he wouldn't get his WrestleMania match. And so he walked into the ring and then picked somebody out of the crowd, and it was this 10-year-old named Nicholas, who happens to be one of the head referee's sons. Um, so, like, obviously he wasn't going to pick anyone random from the crowd. Um, and so it's one of the referee's uh, sons is now uh, one half of the tag team champions. And that was just one of the many ludicrous things that happened at WrestleMania last night, but it was pretty entertaining. What a story to go back to school with, that you were a tag team champion with Braun Strowman last night. Like, and... Yeah, and seriously, don't mess with me, otherwise Braun's going to come. Well, he wouldn't assault a child, but you know, you could at least threaten that he would. He probably could flip the bus. Hasn't he flipped an ambulance over? He could probably flip the bus over. Yeah, he's flipped an ambulance. He's flipped a semi-truck. Oh. And when he flipped the ambulance, it was completely obvious that it was on hydraulics and all that stuff. Like, I, there was, like, seven things about it that were just really poorly done that made it look like a stupid, like, poor, like, low-budget movie stunt. But when he flipped the semi, they fixed all that stuff. 
and other than the fact that it was a semi trailer or the, the front part of a semi, the you know the engine and the cab and all that stuff. Other than the fact that you know a man can't lift that, it was. You'd have no problem. You'd have no, no problem with a bus. Well, this is true. He could pick up the back. He did that with a limousine one time. He picked up the back end of the limousine so it couldn't drive away. Nice. Yeah, just stupid, you know, feats of human strength. Right. But, yeah, anyways, overall, uh, good show. A couple really stupid spots, a couple really fun ones. Ronda Rousey made her debut, which was really good. So, that's, you know, I don't know. Do you want me to go more in-depth on that? I can I can geek out about it, but. Uh, do you have a wrestling show, too? I don't have a wrestling show. Oh. I gotta stop the podcast somewhere. That's true. Really <laughs> I have a, I have a wife and a child that I need to spend time with. It's <laughs> true. Well, it's quite a week in sports. Quite a recap there. Any uh, any uh, NASCAR nuggets this week? No, they keep. Um... So I don't want to get into too much detail, but the 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 guns they use to change the tires are NASCAR issued and um according to Reddit the theory is that they're like purchased at your local harbor freight and now in the last two weeks they've had um a couple of them break that which have caused problems for teams. Um so the the biggest controversy are some uh some tired guns uh in NASCAR. But uh Kyle Bush whose nickname is Rowdy, he won in Texas yesterday and so now we had to to the the last Coliseum that is Bristol on Sunday for the day race uh, there, and we are just five weeks away from them uh, heading to Kansas, and uh, I've got my tickets ready to go. Mm. I'm kind of surprised that NASCAR doesn't get their guns straight from the NRA, but hey, yeah, it's uh, it's about the only uh, it's about the only gun people at the NASCAR race would want control of is a tire gun. Oh man! All right, we gotta end on that. That was too good. <laughs> See you next time. Sounds good. See you, game. Bye.